0: Father, we thank you for the things that you're doing in our hearts when we don't see it, when we don't recognize it. I pray that today that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts that are just postured before you with fertile soil. Father, feet that want to run with obedience. Father, um, Move in our hearts today. In Jesus' name. Amen. amen. So we also have the Bible challenge. How many of you guys are participating in the Bible challenge? The year-long Bible challenge. So there's like 70, 70 plus people who've signed up on the Bible app. The check marks, I've checked with you version, some of them are not working, so they're they're trying to make that work. So if you see someone who doesn't have a check mark, it doesn't mean that they haven't read. But now that I've revealed that to you guys, you know that you don't have to read, and I won't know either. <laughs> but we have 72 people who've signed up. Each day, there's people that are dialoguing. And we want to ask that you guys would also participate with us. It's on version, but if you don't like technology, the Bible reading plan is out at the Welcome Desk as well. It's the same exact one that we're uh, going through, you can pick it up and go through it. And last week, we were in the book of Job. And it's kind of like two days for those who are reading the book of Job right now. Next week, we're going to be in the book of Job as well. And it's just like, how much misery do I have to keep on reading about? Can I just skip this? I want to be done with it. So what I want to encourage you guys, for those who are participating, keep on chugging, keep on reading. And um, we'll kind of see a picture at the end. well, you get them on your page, but then on the big page you don't. So you do, yep. Um, so yes, please keep on reading. And if you miss a couple days, just pick back up. Right? Easy as easy as that. So today we're going to be in um, Acts chapter twenty. But the first, the first, um, the first scripture in Acts, uh, or the first sentence in. Acts chapter 20 says this. When the uproar had ended. So when you hear that, when the uproar had ended, how do you not try to figure out what the uproar was, right? So I said, well, we at least have to summarize it. So, Acts chapter 19. Paul was in Ephesus. And um, yeah, he's spreading the gospel, sharing the word. And... He's preaching, right? And the people that he's preaching to in Acts chapter 19, um, they worship gods like many people that he's been preaching to, but not the one God. And one of the main gods that they worshipped was the goddess of Artemis. Or Artemis, sorry, not Artemis. Artemis. And Artemis looked like this. Let's pull this picture up here. That's disgusting, isn't it? Who would worship a princess like this? Artemis and or also known as Diana. So um, the Ephesian goddess Artemis was a distinctive form of the Greek goddess in Greek mythology as the daughter of Zeus and Leto. Artemis was a virgin huntress who was the goddess of the moon. She was the uh, patron deity of wild animals, regulated the hunting activities, and gave fertility to human beings. Now, this is mythology. This isn't real, but this this is what they were worshiping. Uh, The Greeks portrayed Artemis as a young, attractive virgin wearing a short tunic and having her hair pulled back on her head. Now, in Ephesus... Artemis was portrayed as a mature woman with her robe draped in a a way to expose her multiple breasts. This symbolism represented fertility and um, nurture. Artemis was the chief deity of the city of Ephesus. So there was a huge temple where Artemis was and we can get that picture off. Now rumor has it Rumor I had to look at it at the back wall, I'm tired of her looking at me. Artemis. The legend had it that she was that she fell from heaven. And if that legend were true, I'm fairly certain that thing didn't fall from heaven. Heaven got tired of it. You ain't right, woman. The three hundred kick. You guys ever know what I'm talking about? With the three hundred kick? This is But instead of, this is Sparta, it was, this is heaven. And there she came. So many women who wanted to get pregnant, what they would end up doing is they would go to Artemis, and they would offer things to her. They would pray. They would worship. And they would hope that they could um, then receive the blessing of giving birth. Nevertheless, I share that because at the end of chapter 19, there's a silversmith, Demetrius, who made trinkets that would maybe look like Artemis or be, um, represent her in some way that people could carry around with them so that almost the blessing of Artemis or the worship of Artemis could take place wherever. So he made a bunch of money while doing this because a lot of people worshipped Artemis. Demetrius realized that by uh, by Paul preaching the way, you guys remember earlier in Acts, the way was the original way that Christians referred to who Jesus was. So Demetrius realized that by Paul preaching the way, it limited his business as a silversmith because many people quit worshipping Artemis. So what did he do? He got frustrated. You're getting into my pocket, right? So what he ended up doing is he rallied people together, accusing Paul of leading people astray in Ephesus and, surrounding, and the surrounding province, causing a riot because their silversmith economy was being touched. So you have a man who making a good living, and he's making a good living for a lot of people. And then because Jesus is being preached, those people are turning from their sin and then turning to God. Now, how great would it be with some of the websites that people go to if as we preach the way that those businesses would go out of business as well? Amen? I would love for that to happen. Nevertheless, you can expose a person's heart when you touch their wallet, right? Right here, Demetrius' heart is being exposed because his wallet was touched by Jesus. When the people in Ephesus heard that this might cause uh, the worship of Artemis to be hindered, they were furious. And this is what they ended up doing. They shouted, great is Artemis for two hours. So you know what I think we need to do? It is ten fifty six and I don't like to be outdone. Do you guys like to be outdone? So let's all stand to our feet. We're gonna say, Great is Jesus for the next two hours. How can we be so disillusioned that we can be so passionate about things that are not about the one way that we're willing to stand there and shout? And I think about it myself. I've been to Buckeye games, and, and I'm still like, um, even at Buckeye games, I'm still kind of quiet, but it's like my loudest oh is like, oh, but you got these people like painting their shirts and bouncing everywhere and doing these and screaming at the top of their lungs, explicits. Can we shout for Jesus? Are we willing to be bold enough To shout his name. I love it when people in here shout sometimes. Like, not in a chaotic way. But you can see that the presence of God is on them. And and, and what you can recognize is that it's just God in them. That they're not worried about anyone else and they shout. And I'll pick on Sister Krista a couple months ago, right? God, like, you, you were worshiping God and you were just like, I need to shout his name. Amen. That's good. No, if you're just being a flake and shouting, then we're going to have someone tackle you. We'll <laughs> have someone get you out of here. But they were willing to shout, Great is Artemis, an opposition of Paul. And we really see that within our culture today, don't we? The, the Christians are trying to be shut up, we're trying to, the, uh, people are trying to shut us down. So you'll probably find opposition in D.C. And there's going to be people there who are going to try to shut you down. That's the culture that we live in. So when I'm reading through the book of Acts and I hear about riots and people frustrated, it's like you turn on the news and someone's crying about something. Someone shut down a Division I football game this year over something that they cared about. They rioted on the field Held out their banners and shut the game down. It's happening in this world, just it was just like it was happening in that world. And as Christians, we're supposed to respond appropriately. Nevertheless, there was over twenty thousand people that gathered in the theater. So Paul, being crazy, right? Paul's like, I want to preach to these 20,000 people. I want to tell these 20,000 people what's right. But they're going crazy. They're nuts. They're not thinking straight. So what ends up happening is Paul's um, friends, the disciples that were there, and even some friends that Paul had in some government position said, don't do it. Don't go up there. Now wait a second, you're telling me that you have 20,000 people in an arena and you have the opportunity to speak and Christian brothers tell you not to do it. Why is it in the Christian world that we think that we have to hop on every single opportunity that comes our way? I'm not saying that you shouldn't. But there's also a point here within the scripture where Paul's friends are saying, this is not wise for you to go in there. And one of the things that I've recognized within um, the modern movement of Christianity is there is a hero complex. And the church has become self-glorifying when it comes to the risks that they take. They want them to be bigger and better. So all, all they want to do is take this big old huge risk. And then what they want to do after they take this huge risk is they want to tell everyone about the huge risk. And what I'm saying is God doesn't plan for us to just do bigger and better risks. He wants us just to say yes to him. And then in this situation, Paul could only discover the risk that he was supposed to take based upon the people around him. So who in your life is advising you and helping steward your life to counsel you with the risks and the things that you do for God? Right? Amen? We all need those people. Just as today when you leave here and you nominate someone to be an elder, that's going to be people who help oversee this congregation. Take the risk that God asks you to take. And those are usually best discerned through a godly team. This ju- dispute ended with people not even knowing why they were there. Or even why they had been rioting. Literally the scripture says that. Not exactly the way that I said it. But they are like, we don't even know why we're here. Why are we rioting? I don't think a lot of people today know why they're rioting. I don't even know why. I don't even think they know why they're even there. They just say, I want to be a part of this. I want to yell at authority. I want to disobey authority. I don't want to be a part of it. I hate God. Right? It's happening today. Either way, a dude comes up and says, it's undeniable. Listen to how wrong he was. It's undeniable, undeniable that Artemis fell from heaven, so everyone needs to calm down and go home. If this is a grievance, it can be settled in court. If not, we're the ones rioting and we're the ones who will be held accountable. That's what we're looking at now in verse, uh, or chapter 20, when the uproar had ended. So chapter 20, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, it will be on the screen. There's some really fun names through this first paragraph. So I'm going to um, give it my best. So um, verse 1. When the uproar had ended, Paul sent for for the disciples. And after... encouraging them, said goodbye and set out for Macedonia. He traveled through that area, speaking many words of encouragement to the people, and finally arrived in Greece, where he stayed three months, because some Jews had plotted against him just as he was about to sail for Syria. Just real quick, Paul is still considering the wisdom of those around him, because what we think is, Here's the mission that God sent me on, so I'm going to accomplish it. But right here, Paul is using wisdom and he's avoiding conflict, right? As Christians, we don't always have to pursue conflict. Sometimes we can consider what people are saying around us and avoid it. Either way, he decided to go back to or through Macedonia. Verse 4. He was accompanied by Sopater, son of Purus, from Berea, Aristarchus. <laughs> what's so funny over there? <laughs> and Sedundus. from Thessalonica, Gaius from Derby, Timothy also, and Ty- Tychicus and Trophimus from the province of Asia. These men went ahead and waited for us at Troas. But we sailed from Philippi after the festival of unleavened bread and five days later joined the others at Troas where we stayed for seven days. So now what's getting ready to happen is is Paul's in Troas and he's getting ready to preach. He's getting ready to teach but right now he's celebrating. He's having communion He's um, having a fellowship dinner. Let's go to verse 7. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people because he intended to leave the next day kept on talk- and uh, kept on talking until midnight. Can I get a witness? If Paul did it, he also tell uh, who does he tell Timothy in scripture, um, or no, the Corinthians, I believe. He says, uh, "Follow after me, do what I do," basically. So, so I'm going to do after what Paul does. I'm going to follow him, and we're going to be here till midnight today. Would you be okay with that? There's, there's two people crazy enough in here, and I say that with the best way. That's Robin Nicole. Y'all would be here. And I love that. So Paul spoke and the people intended to leave uh, because he intended to leave the next day. And he kept on speaking until midnight. Paul had a message and wanted to get it across in Troas. So he spoke for a very, very long time. Maybe we need to start bringing food to church, right? Because... I'll tell you the truth. Everyone starts to fidget once it gets like 11, 18. You start to see these. You start to see these. You start to see the whispers of like Chinese buffet or Subway. Does Pizza Hut still have the buffet on Sunday? You start asking those types of questions. What about La Palma? Maybe we should just eat leftovers from yesterday. And this great debate and then you check out for like 10 minutes and then Joey says something stupid and you're like, oh, I heard you say something stupid. I'm tuned back in. Here in chapter 20, we begin to see Paul change a little bit. There almost seems to be a different type of urgency. He's been doing his mission work for several years now. And he's sensing that it might be coming to a close. So when he's preaching for a long time, he wants to make sure that the church is equipped to move forward in a godly way because he may never see them again. And imagine if we lived that way with the people around us. Tomorrow is not promised for us. But if we lived with such an urgency to present Jesus to our friends and our co workers and our neighbors and our family members, because tomorrow is not promised, Paul was willing to take the time and pursue making sure that the people that he loved were equipped to walk out a life with Jesus Christ. And I believe that's our same calling as well. Verse 8 There were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting. When I read this, I said to myself, what does that matter? Lamps? Okay, well, if it's nighttime, of course you're going to have lamps. Why wouldn't you? Who's, if you invite me over to your house for dinner and all your lights are off when they can be on, I'm out. (laughs) I don't trust you. I'm I'm just out like, Keith, thanks for having me over. Do your lights work? Yeah, Joey. Joey. I'm out. (laughs) See ya. I don't know what I'm eating, some kind of fear factor stuff. (laughs) Out. So why is the scripture in here? Why, Why did Luke feel like it was important to tell us that many lights were on? Naturally, we assume that the light was on, but Luke felt like he needed to put this in here. Maybe Paul had an emphasis during this time. Maybe there was this sense that I'm going to be preaching a long time. So I want to create an atmosphere that's not conducive to sleeping. I need their full attention all the time. You know what? I need your full attention. Let's just turn the lights up bright. Right now. Because I'm going to be here all day. Verse 9. Seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus. His name also uh, means lucky. You'll figure that out here in a little bit. (laughs) Who was sinking into a deep sleep. As Paul talked on and on and on. So the lights are bright. We have a young man seated in a window, falling asleep. Young men were often referred to maybe from the age of 8 to 14. Different things have said it was just a teenager. So 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. Not very sure of the very specific age. But no older than a teenager. Either way, how many of you guys would allow your kid or someone else's kid to sit in a window? Like, you realize this said not, it doesn't say at the window, it doesn't say around the window, it doesn't say looking out the window, it says in the window. So how many of you guys would let your kids sit in a window? Raise your hand. All right, those of you, you can be door greeters. You will never serve in kids ministry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, How do you get out of kids' ministry? Tell the pastor you will put kids in windows. Okay. It says, in the window, and guess what it also says? In the window, sinking into a deep sleep. That's crazy. And here's why it's crazy. But first, let's get to point one if you want to write this down. The church, so that's us. The church is to be mindful of those around them, and to take action when needed. (laughs) Look at your neighbor right now. Look, just look. Look at your neighbor. Be mindful of them. Make some kind of weird face at them. Come on, you're not looking at your neighbor. Look at your neighbor, and then you look across the room. We are called to be mindful of this group of people and those who are not here today and those who are our neighbors and our family members. The church is called to be mindful and then to take action when needed. We are. I, I was thinking, um, so Macy and I, Friday night, we had a nice Chipotle dinner. Our second favorite restaurant. By the way, if you want to know our favorite, uh, Macy's favorite, which is my favorite, it's the Melt. So we were at our second favorite restaurant, and it was down in Dayton. And while we were there, I saw this kid, and he had black hair, and he had some highlights in it. And then I just kind of looked back, and he's back there, just wrists, 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 stirring up the um, rice. And while he stirred up the rice, Just kind of move my eye contact. And then Macy was like, hey, is that our friend blank? So then I'm trying to make eye contact. Like, is it? Is it? And then you know how you can avoid eye contact. So it's like, if I don't want to look at Eric, I can look at Ryland. And then I can just go to Grace. And then Ryland. And never make eye contact as if Eric's just not even there. I felt like this guy started to do that to me. What in the world? So then I'm sitting there. I'm like, I'm trying to laser eye him, right? Won't work. Like, whatever. So then I just give up. And then um, Macy's just sitting there. And, of course, Macy gets a guy's attention. <laughs> whatever. And then he go, she, she's sitting there. She's like, hey, how are you? And he's like, and then he finally realizes that I'm alive. And he's like, oh, hey, just like this. And then goes back to this. Now, I share that story because he used to be one of our youth down in Dayton. And now he's all grown up working at Chipotle. And we love this kid and we care for this kid. And we want the best for this kid who's now an adult. But what I recognized is this. Is there was this awkwardness within me that didn't want to approach him because of where he used to be to where he is now. And I'm like, I'm not even sure I know how to talk to you. I'm not even sure what I would say to you. So then I wrestled with it on the way home. What would I say? What would I do? You just make it up. Have the boldness of Jesus Christ to approach that person and say, how are you doing? How is your spiritual life? How can we help you? And what I recognized is this, is is I can be mindful of my surroundings, but sometimes I lack the boldness to do it. Right? There's people in here that have needs that you're aware of that you're unwilling to approach. Because you're afraid of maybe the response that they might give or that they might deny. Well, the fact of the matter is this. I'm not sure that this is the main point of the scripture. But Eutychus needed someone. Eutychus, little you, needed someone in his life to, be, to recognize him, to see him sitting in a window three stories high with the lights on falling asleep, someone needed to come to him and say, get out of the window. Amen? Just as there's people in the church today that we need to be mindful of, that we are mindful of, that we need to go to them and say, how can I help you? How can I pray for you? How can I encourage you? Are you doing okay? Because the worst thing is this, is to be aware of something and not do something about it. Because there's probably people in here today who are saying, God, if you are in control of my situation, please send this person to say something to me. And you're that person who's God made aware of that situation, and he's asking you to take a step and go that way. And here's, here's, here's my belief, is God never gives you discernment of another person's situation unless he wants to deal with it. Right? Why would God tell me something other than he wants to deal with it? So if Mark's dealing with something and God reveals it to me, he's not revealing it to me so that I just know it like, oh, cool. He's revealing it to me because through my prayer or through me addressing it with Mark, God wants to deal with it. Amen? So when God gives you discernment, or God allows you to be mindful and to see something, I believe what he's asking for you to do is to partner with him and go love that person. So again, point number one is the church is to be mindful of those around them and to take action when needed. Who in here would let their boy sit in a window three stories high? Dad, would you have ever let me sit sit in a window three stories high? You wouldn't even let me get on a step ladder two steps high without telling me how to use it. you got to put your right foot up, left foot up, make sure it's out. And you know what? If you had put your kid in a window three stories high and Emmett survived, fall in two stories. But that wasn't neglected parents. That was just Emmett. <laughs> I I guarantee you one day we will have Emmett running through the ceiling. And then he'll fall, and then he'll be like, he'll be off. I am amazed at the fact that there was no one there to keep Eutychus from sitting in that window. And I need and you need people in your life to make you aware of decisions that are not smart. Even when you say you're going to be okay. I can imagine a punk teenager. No, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm all right. Leave me alone. I'm good. I'm all right. Well, sometimes you just need to grab a little teenager by his neck and pull him in, close the window, and you stand there and guard it. Right? You take the keys. You take the cell phone. You change the password on the computer. whatever's leading someone down a bad path, you do it. nevertheless I don't believe like I said that the focus of the scripture is Eutychus and the lights and his attention and what people weren't doing but Eutychus needed the church to care for him Eutychus needed the church to be aware of him our church needs to be aware of one another and begin to prioritize helping people when they are weak even when it's awkward I'm going to hate to face God one day and tell him that I didn't talk to people because it was too awkward. Right? Hundreds of people I've missed because of I was unwilling to be bold enough to face the awkwardness. I'm going to hate that. But you know what I can do is I can say God I'm taking another step this week. And when I get in the awkward moment and people think that I'm weird, I'm just going to say, you know what, God, I'm doing this for you. Because this person needs to know about you. We need to be, yeah. So, you know, there's all these things. There's, there's needs going on right now within the church. Are you aware of prayer needs? Are you aware of downcast spirits? Are you aware of financial needs? People who need marriage guidance who have health problems, are there people who are here or who are not here at church today that are missing, that you're aware of it and you can call them and reach out to them? Their response to you is not on you unless you start in a very fiery way. If you go, if you go to someone who hasn't been to church and been like, God's mad at you for not being at church, well, you should expect being punched in the face. Or that person never coming back to church. But if you would go to someone and call them and say, Hey, I care about you. I'd like to get coffee. What's going on with you? I'd love to see you at church again. Maybe they come back. But them coming here or them going there, it's irrelevant. Because one day, all those who really confess Jesus as Lord and Savior, they're all going to be in the same place anyways. I'm more concerned. Concern about the person's heart condition towards Jesus than I am where they attend church. Right? So maybe they're just like, um, it's not working out for me there. Well, if their heart, if they leave good and clear, God bless them. But leave good and clear, right? Someone from another church called me a couple months ago and they said, um, I'm having problems with my leadership. What should I do? I said, I think you should solve the problem with your leadership. They said, well, I think I should leave. I said, yeah, but God's going to want you to solve the problem with your leadership before you leave. So either you solve the problem with your leadership and you stay, or you solve the problem with your leadership and then you leave. Which one are you going to do? Solve the problem with people around you. If you have problems with leadership, if you have problems with people, uh, people in your family, in your neighborhood, solve that problem because how are you going to be in heaven with the leadership? And you're like, well, that leadership who I don't like is going to the other place anyways, right? That's our thoughts. Solve that problem so that when you go to heaven, everything's clear. Nevertheless, please um, not only be mindful, but take action to help someone this week. Call the person you've been wanting to call. Text the person God's been prompting you to text. Let's move to point two. This group had a meal, and the preacher goes on and on and on and on. You know what that's the recipe for? Sleep. You eat, and then someone just rambles. Thanksgiving, you go to sleep. That's what's happening here. So part B of verse 9. When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story, and he was picked up dead. Eutychus kept on falling asleep and asleep and asleep, and he fell to his death. So you know what I want to say? Point number two, B, not A, don't go to sleep in church. <laughs> Hellfire and brimstone here at Mechanicsburg Christian Fellowship. He'll get you. He will get you. So Eutychus is young, likely full of food. The preacher's going on and on. And he has a seat at the window where he could be halfway in and halfway out. Or halfway out, which would be right, and then halfway in. See, many of us today are halfway in and halfway out. We're thinking about how we want to serve the world and have our eyes on the world and how we want to have part of us inside as well. The ledge is dangerous. Halfway in, halfway out, and that's where he's seated. Falling asleep, he fell out. Imagine someone taking a young person who seems to be on the fringe, right? Halfway in, halfway out, the fringe, and asking them to sit with you. There's young people here who are teenagers or junior high kids they sometimes just come in here and sit by themselves. Like, maybe sometimes Eric doesn't have someone to sit with. Because mama's catering to daddy at home. Because he just had a lot, bunch of surgeries. Why are we not asking Eric and pulling Eric in to say, Eric, come sit with me? Well, the problem is because is it's too awkward. And we're unwilling to face that awkwardness. But imagine if Eutychus had someone in this church service that was willing to say, Hey, little you, come sit with me. Come sit with me. Here's some notes. Here's a Werther's. Here's a peppermint. Or inviting him to church. You know, the good thing is is this. This teenager was at church. Of all the places he could be, he was here. Kyle, of all the places you could be, you're here today. And that's awesome. I get encouraged every time I see you each week. And you had 23 points last night. Stud. Did you get the dub? Ugh. Well, that's sad, but keep on keep on doing good. How about this? We have new people here at church. Almost every week now. Instead of just looking at them and laughing at them as the new people or not wanting to engage them, pull them in. And generally speaking, I love um, up here when we talk to people and pray for people. I usually see our congregation always shaking hands and talking to new people after church. So thank you for doing that. I'll tell you what, though. We have some Eutychus in here. We really do. If you guys could see yourself fall asleep during church, you would be amazed. (laughs) You're like, why does he go from A to Z? Because what I just saw completely distracted me. I mean, I'm not even kidding. We have the fake prayers. You got those people that are so tired. They'll sit down here. and Oh, I'm just praying. No, you ain't. you sleeping. Or then you got the people that are, right? So then they, they bounce back to life. <laughs> they bounce back to life. And then they're like, did anyone see that? So what they end up doing is they stand up and then they go get coffee. So, you ain't getting coffee. You're just trying to wake up. And then sometimes you got the kneelers, you got the dozers, you got the twitchers, you got the yawners, you got the stretchers, you got the put the hand on my cheek and act like I'm in deep thoughters. I decided I'd say ER at the end of every single one since that's how it started. So, um, and then you got the, um, the, the professionals. The professioners. And these professioners can sleep with their eyes open. And it's like, you look at them and you're like, I see your body, <laughs> but your spirit's halfway to heaven. <laughs> like, you are not here. And that's what Eutychus was experiencing. He was full, he was tired right? He was young. His attention wasn't there. He had some practical reasons as to why he couldn't pay attention. That's what I'm trying to say. He was full. He was young, maybe not completely interested in what was being spoken upon that day. And the pastor just kept on going on and on and on and on. Practical reasons of why he can't engage what was happening. And you know what? we have practical reasons why we don't engage too. And I believe it's those practical reasons that end up sending us to a place of us being spiritually dead. The practical things give us an excuse to not fully engage God. How about this one? I have work tomorrow. I have unforgiveness in my heart. This pastor just keeps on going on and on and on. Who do the Browns play today? I wonder who the Buckeyes are recruiting. What time is the party? I wonder what we're having for lunch. I don't have a ride. The kids have a game. It's only one Sunday that I'm missing. I'm tired. I'm tired of the book of Acts. I need to do my laundry. The dishes need done. My feet hurt. There's many practical reasons why you shouldn't be here. There's many practical reasons of why your deceitful heart could tell you that you're not needed here. And what I want to tell you, this is more than you needing to be here, everyone else needs you here. Because you have a, you're a piece of the body that helps bring this together and you offer encouragement and hope to those if you live into it. But there's practical reasons for you not to be here today. So point number two is this. My inability to engage God through the practical things of life could lead to my spiritual death. Our generation believes that their problems are going away when they get their lists done. Our generation believes that they can become the God of their life. And once they get their list done, that they'll be happy. Well, guess what? That uh, once they complete their tasks, more things are coming. The lists never, ever, ever end. So if you're above 50, has your list of things to accomplish ever quit? It hasn't. Does it get shorter? There's always something to be done. Young generation. Young generation. Young generation. Younger generation. You're always going to have something. And what we end up doing is saying, we believe that once we complete our tasks, that we will have uh, time for God. Or we say, I don't have time for God because my life is too full. The kids... Our job, our bills, our laundry, our pets, our recreation, school, cleaning, mowing grass. And you know what, men? I'm really tired of hearing you complain about mowing grass, mowing grass, because you know you love it. You love mowing grass, so I don't want to hear it. You don't like the money that it costs, but you love it. It's like you being in heaven when you're mowing grass. I think Dad was trying to mow yesterday. He loves it so much. It's like, man, it's 65 degrees, let me get out there. and I think he took it out of the garage and realized it was too wet, and it was creating marks in his grass. So I'll tell you this, lists of things to do never stop. They are practical, they make sense, they are needed. But if your practical lists keep, um, keep on being number, the number one thing in your life, then you are going to be missing the point. I am convinced that people's practical life things are leading them to spiritual death. And in this story, Eutychus had some good reasons to be asleep, but maybe, it, maybe a greater interest in what was going on would have kept him from death. If Eutychus was able to fine-tune his focus, to be disciplined within himself, to listen and to engage, to reposition himself in a place that he wanted to learn, he wouldn't have fell to his death. We're not saying that God might not have still killed him that night and then brought him back to life. But what we are saying is he wouldn't have fell. What do we need to do as a generation to say, I am no longer going to be led by my list, but I'm going to be led by God first. So if I wake up tomorrow morning, God is going to be first. Amen? So what I challenge you to do is write some things down this week and ask God, what are some practical things in my life that I need to get rid of so that I can pursue God first? Pray about that. God, what are some practical things that I'm doing that you want to help me get rid of? And then point number three, and we're going to get out of here. And since I'm preaching about Eutychus, I guess I don't care about the time today. It's 1134. We're almost done. Point number three is this. Is Jesus came to bring back to life those in all situations. So everyone in this room today and everyone in this world, Jesus came to bring back to life. Verse 10. Paul went down threw himself on the young man and put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed. He said, he's alive. So Eutychus is alive. Paul ran down there and he laid himself on him. And when I thought about that, I thought about Elijah and Elijah. And they both experienced bringing someone back to life by laying on them. That's weird to think about. Um, but it's just not my way, and I have to be okay with it. Either way, Elijah in uh, Kings 17, he was a part of healing a widow's son by laying on him. During this season, um, there, were, there was a drought, and this um, widow was preparing to prepare, or she was fixing. She was fixing to prepare the last meal for her and her son. So a drought in the land, doesn't have a lot of money, doesn't have a lot of resources. She's getting ready to prepare the last meal. God was faithful in that moment. And through Elijah, what ended up happening is God was like, "Nope, you're not going to lose anything. Just keep on serving. Just keep on making this food and your jars will not run out. So what ended up happening was this is Elijah goes and he lays on the boy and he comes back to life. So a woman who's facing, who's a widow, who has no limited resources, Jesus brought back to life, that son. And then Elisha in 2 Kings 4 was part of healing a child from a wealthy uh, Shunammite woman. So the poor and the widowed and the rich. And this story broke my heart. Um, The boy's out hanging out with his dad And the boy cried out. He said, Father, Father, my head, oh, my head. And then he died. I can't imagine a little boy crying to his dad saying, oh, my head, oh, my head. And then dying. It broke my heart as I read it. Nevertheless, Elisha laid on him. And the boy came back to life. So Paul, in this story in Acts 20. He was a little boy by laying on him. So, why are these three instances in the Bible of us laying, us me, me being humans laying on another for them to get healed? Well, I think it's to point to Jesus, and to point to Jesus is this: is that Jesus came for those in all circumstances, the rich, the poor, the sick, the healthy. Those who have one foot in and one foot out. Jesus came to bring healing. And just as Jesus came down to save and bring back to spiritual life those of every size, shape, color, and story, Paul came down from three stories and life came back to Eutychus. Or what his name means, life came back to lucky. Lucky. Jesus died for every single one of us. And here in this scripture, that's what Jesus did. Jesus came down from where he was, seated in heaven. And just as Paul came down three stories, Jesus came down from heaven for you and I. And if we can't give our attention to that, we better start praying that God's going to open up our hearts. Amen? So I just want to finish verse 11 and 12, real quick. I mean, could you imagine that event? A little kid falls out a window. A young a young boy falls out a window. He dies. And then you got this preacher laying on him. And then he gets healed. And it's like, okay, that's probably enough for the night. <laughs> what did you think that? Like, as a speaker, I would think that. Like, yeah, let's shut the window. Let's just... Cut it. Not Paul, though. This is what happened. Then he went upstairs and broke bread and ate. After talking until daylight, he left. The people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. He gets there, they're partying for some time. He preaches until midnight, and then he's preaching until daylight. I want I, I truly want a heart. I'm I'm not saying this so that I can preach longer i want the heart that every service every video every place that i'm ever in i'm first god's and available to be there however long it takes i want that heart i recognize within my heart that the practical things of life are pulling me away from having that heart so then what am i willing to get rid of what am i willing to get rid of so that i can possess that heart What I've recognized is that I've deleted social media off my phone, and my screen time on my phone has went down so much, like significantly. But Macy told me, you got rid of all this, but then you got like 100 friends on the Bible app now. So you're still social media. Well, it's very limited. We don't get cat videos and dog videos on there. So what I want to do today as we wrap up is just stand here and say, wake up and get out of the window. Wake up and don't yield to the practical things of life anymore because I'm less concerned with physical sleeping than I am a sleeping heart. Right? Let's pray. Father, I ask today that You would open up our hearts to you. That you would help us be mindful of people. That we would uh, make the main thing the main thing. And you are the main thing. Protect us as we go home. Help us be mindful of people this week, Father. And then give us the boldness to confront the awkwardness. In Jesus' name. amen. 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 Amen.